Chapter Thirteen of Lift to Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Waking in the Hay. When I woke next morning, the sun was streaming in over my head through the cobweb-wreathed windows of the old railway carriage, taking in its path a host of other cobwebs that hung from the roof and changing them to fleeces of gold i lay for some time wondering at this unusual bed drapery not recollecting for the moment where i was but gradually the events of overnight returned i kicked off my rustling counterpane unbarred the door and stepped out into the keen freshness of the morning it was a typical autumn morning sunny still and bitter cold overhead larks were carolling in the blue sky upon the grass there was a thick accretion of dew that glittered with a thousand iridescent colours a pillar of smoke rose out of a distant fold of the hills and the voice of a threshing mill droned on the calm air but there was no other sound nor sign of human life in all the great expanse around me i looked about for stonehenge i had a sudden notion of returning thither for a sunlight impression of it but it was nowhere in sight and an absolutely ravening hunger got the better of the idea i hastily collected my belongings stuck my hurdle stake upright in the hay with a shilling and a knife cut at the top of it to pay my unknown host for the night's lodging then set out over the dew whitened plain in search of amesbury and breakfast i went eastward right in the face of the sun judging that this was its most probable direction soon i struck a path then a road and finally came down through a forest of flaming elm and beech into avon valley long however before the shimmering breadth of the river came into view amidst the trees i had heard and yielded to its quiet melody amesbury dwells in the song of avon nowhere in the little torpid derelict town can you escape its influence life goes on there to an eternal accompaniment of still music every humdrum etc of daily existence is changed by it into a stanza of the world's symphony when presently i stood by an open upper window of the inn telling myself and looking forth at the new faces of the passers-by and the pretty quaint fronts of the houses i found myself dropping into a continual reverie carried irresistibly along by avon's purling flow it was the same as i sat below at breakfast the same as i strolled about the moss-grown ways of the place trying to concern myself with medieval architecture finally i gave way to it altogether and going down to the old stone bridge just clear of the village lolled about there 
all the dreamy morning through to my side as i leaned over the parapet watching the waters flow and the play of the sunlight on its submerged green bed came an old gentleman clad in decent broadcloth and walking by the aid of two sticks for some time back i had heard his steady stump drawing nearer and nearer on the gravel walk but i had not looked round i was in chase of an idea as elusive as the sun and shadow play at the bottom of the stream and was interested for the moment in no other human being but myself the old gentleman came and leaned over the balustrade at my side with that quiet assured familiarity to strangers which is seen only in men who have kept their mental vigour into old age one must be eighty it would seem before one can grasp to the full the theory of the familiarhood of the race until then we prate of an universal father and a divine big brother but we pass our neighbour unacknowledged in the street the old gentleman spoke i was startled from my reverie not because he had done so but because of the surprising fact that his words dealt with the very thought paramount in my own disjointed reflections you talk of a river said he but what is a river and where is it every moment the water changes this minute you are looking at something which was not here a minute ago and the next minute it shall be a new thing again its bed and its banks and the green things on them seem to persist from day to day but it is only an appearance come back here in the autumn of another year and there shall not be a grain of earth nor a grass blade of all you see before you now yet the river you say is there still there has been a river here for thousands of years well what do you mean by the word i looked at him with growing curiosity he was a placid clean-shaven old man wonderfully refined in feature whose eyes bespoke a long acquaintance with bodily pain he returned my look with steady cheerfulness how did you know i was thinking of that i broke out involuntarily he laughed a slow quiet laugh i might make another guess he said somehow or other you were linking up your river thoughts with thoughts that come much nearer home you may have been thinking that if your own life were such as the rivers always youthful brimming strong yet whose reality and persistence are seemingly no more than a shadow of a shadow whether if the choice were given you you would be willing to buy eternal youth at such a price in hope and ideals whether if the river is a true reflection of human life it is worth the trouble of learning to grow old at all for we all have to face that inevitable consequence of living 
i took time to answer him he had greatly overestimated the profundity of my reflections but i saw no reason for enlightening him on that point in the end the best answer seemed to lie in a counter-question said i sir were these your thoughts when you were my age or are they thoughts that come only when a man is old and therefore too late to bring him either loss or profit it is true that i have reached a time of life when all original intuitions and impulses have lost their cutting edge and reason must perforce take the entire guidance of things if they are to progress at all but that is just the difficulty and that is just where by your leave old men seem to fail in an obvious duty to young ones if as you say the art of growing old is a thing that can be learned why are old men so universally silent on the matter to be quite frank with you at the moment you came up i had realized and for the first time in my life that i had now got to face the thing but i can see neither help nor comfort in this river philosophy he waved his hand towards a little house blinking afar off through the trees i can only answer for myself he said for my part it is a duty i have long recognised and tried to fulfil do you see that window there well i sit at it on sunny mornings and whenever i see one like yourself standing on this bridge i come out and talk to him now hear the truth of the whole matter do not you see that if the river is no more than appearances make it there can be no river at all there must be something else something changeless and immortal to which the moving water the grass the flowers are only a symbolical clothing well that something else is the mind of god it is the same with your own life what you take to be the passing away of much of its colour and joy and brightness is not passing but substitution it is not sunset but dawn look at this bare branch a month ago it was heavy with green leaves yesterday with sere and yellow ones now it has shed them all and in the place of each is a full sappy bud potentially another assured summer the bareness exists only in the eye that seeks for it so what you have got to learn is really not how to grow old but that there is no growing old at all the halting chime music from the church tower now broke in upon the old gentleman's meditations to this and the quieter gentler melody of the water he stumped his way back towards his cottage and i saw him no more i returned to the inn and its cosy parlour and ordered lunch there were many inns in amesbury 
inns to suit all temperaments and momentary moods i chose out this one originally because of the brightness of its windows the sleek condition of its cat and its well-worn doorstep the only infallible guides to good cheer and comfort so far as i know these being satisfactory i was not surprised to find the landlord his wife and his two pretty daughters of the same sterling quality the whole family busied themselves in my entertainment coming and going in turns between the bar and the parlour either with comestibles or local information for both of which i had inquired i soon noticed however that their solicitude was about equally divided between myself and another this other was a canary in a cage that hung just over my head i had been inwardly rejoicing at its silence but now discovered this to be a matter of great anxiety for the family they brought it sugar fresh seed warm water each in turn came and looked at it addressed it in endearing terms or stirred it gently with a finger but nothing seemed to hearten the wretched fowl it crouched at the bottom of the cage with its head lolling against the bars and its feathers twisted always and was regardless of every effort for its improvement finally the whole family came and stood round the cage together what's gone wrong with peepy i can't think said the landlady dolefully i'll tell you what mother said the landlord struck with a sudden bright idea i were readin' last night in that there lady's paper o yours as how a drop o sherry wine be famous for sick linnets now like as not a canary oh but i give en some only this mornin and it ain't done en a bit o good you did mother interrupted the eldest girl quickly why i give en some too the second girl looked at the other three in consternation sakes mother cried she drat these papers i give en half a heart cake soaked with sherry only just afore dinner the landlord turned to me with a slow mirthful wink ah well like as not he'll be singin for a small soda afore tea-time there's many in this parish as would be glad of half of his complaint the afternoon had fallen grey when i left amesbury i took the andover road because a friendly carrier was going that way but a couple of miles was all i could put up with on that appalling thoroughfare amesbury lay in one of the rich pockets of soil that are a characteristic feature of the wiltshire downs no sooner had the carrier's little cart jogged its way out of the village when the country took on a flat treeless woebegone air it shoaled up dismally before me for ever it seemed with the straight road in the midst of it like a crack in a plate the telegraph wires dirged overhead 
dejected plough teams crept about like beetles here and there in the dun-brown fields a few solitary flint pickers bent to their cheerless task and hoeing there had the look of being the last resource of the destitute instead of the fine discriminative work it is in kindlier lands three motors had scooped by in quick succession and a fourth was churning up a few hundredweight of highway metal in the drab distance it was a straw too many hold said i to the carrier to porton four miles here's my turning and i'm rather in a hurry i'm due at a funeral there at three o'clock i fled down the narrow lane nor stopped until i had left the motor dust and all that bewailing aerial ironmongery far behind here the landscape soon acquired a pleasanter tinge i found myself in open downland again and descrying a black figure striding towards me over the gorse-clad slope to my left i waited to see what manner of man it was feeling under that grey sky not averse from company it was a policeman going his village round and as we tramped on together he told me a story illustrative of the lonely character of all that countryside do you see that clump o wind yonder he said pointing to a dark patch on a hillside perhaps a mile away well once i was kept prisoner there with my own staff held over my head to keep me quiet like whilst a fine bit of devilry was brewing if you looks about in the bushes you'll see two skellingtons and i'll tell ye how they come to be there twas just such another day as this and i was coming along this very identical bit of road when i caught sight of a whole lot of people maybe a couple of hundred over there by the break all very busy about suthin i load as they weren't up to no good and i went across to see what twas well they was all so absorbed like with their heads in a block as you might say that not one of em see me coming a prize fight i says to myself but soon as i got near enough to hear the din i knowed well enough twas a dog fight and a regular red hotton you'd ha thought as all the brimstone demons had been let out o somewhere by the sound o't such a snarlin and snappin and bellowin as you never heerd well just as i was nigh up one of the chaps turned round and saw me and then they all looked i goes straight up and sings out stop this please gentlemen and i must take all your names and addresses for breaking the law of course i knowed it was no good i says it jest for my own sake and i knowed what'd happen most of em only laughed and crowded round the fight again but one of em a gentleman come over to me with half a dozen more and says he constable i'll say you made a desperate resistance 
but we can't have our little bit of pleasure interfered with there's thousands on it so you must give in with that they had me tight in a moment and soon stowed away snug in the brake when the fight was done the gentleman he come to me again the dogs is both dead was luck he says and now constable we're all going home respectable like to tea you'll greatly oblige me by stopping here a bit and never taking your eyes off this here cold chicken and champagne and these here couple of sovereigns whilst i and my friends takes a little walk over the top of the hill law twas a game i tell ye but the champagne was real good what did you do about it afterwards i asked him for he had lapsed into an amused silence what would you have done he said cautiously well i should have eaten the chicken pocketed the money and never said a word about it to any one ay and that's just what i did sport sport anyhow and there never was a policeman what wasn't a bit of a human being under his blue End of chapter 13